Starting and growing a successful business takes a lot of different skills, tools, and know-how. It isn't easy, but it should be simple. At least that's what marketing expert Ellen Yin believes. Ellen is our guest for the 214th episode of the Copywriter Club podcast. And as we talked with Ellen, she shared her simple approach to building her business that we think you might want to copy. Whether you sell services, products, or a mix of both, her connect, capture, and convert framework may give you something to think about as you grow your own business. Before we share our interview with Ellen, this episode is brought to you by the Copywriter Think Tank the high-level mastermind group for copywriters and marketers who want to challenge each other, create new revenue streams in their business, receive one-on-two coaching from the two of us, and ultimately build the business of your dreams. The Think Tank is open right now for a few new members. Visit copywriterthinktank.com or email help at thecopywriterclub.com to learn more. Let's go to our interview with Ellen, uh, telling us about how she became a marketing minimalist. Marketing minimalist um, is this phrase that I've started kind of tossing around, mostly because I think that this industry, when I say this industry, I mean just the online space, really perpetuates a lot of shiny object syndrome, a lot of flashy gurus and, you know, people just feeling completely overwhelmed by conflicting and complicated advice. And so I want to kind of restore a sense of, I don't know, like more normalcy and just understanding that the foundations of your business do not need to be complex and that if your goal, let's say, is to scale to your first six figures, you can do that in a fairly simple way. And we actually just created these really fun shirts. Um, it's hashtag marketing minimalist. And underneath it, it says growing your business isn't easy, but it should be simple. And I think that really kind of just captures the essence of it. I think that focusing on one or two key strategies and really understanding what is actually bringing in conversions and leads and, and all of that is more important than trying to be on every single social media platform and posting every single day and starting a podcast and a blog and a YouTube and all of the above because you heard somewhere that someone else is doing it. So regular listeners to this podcast will know that back on episode 200, Kira and I both came out as multipliers instead of simplifiers. So this maybe is going to be a really good episode for us to listen to. But when you talk about how we don't need complexity as part of the foundation of our business, can we talk about like what are the basics that we do need? How to like what is the very simplest way to lay out our business so that we can succeed? Mm, yes, that's a great question, Rob. I think it would be surprising how many entrepreneurs, especially starting out, um, don't really know their own sales system. Meaning, if if you ask them, "Hey, how does someone go from a stranger to an actual paying customer or client?" Walk me through that process you kind of get this blank stare or you're they're like oh ev- every time it's different. If your answer is every single time it's different, that's not very scalable or sustainable and it's probably what's leading you, you know, feeling overwhelmed and like you're running yourself ragged because you're trying to do something different and and you know, create from scratch a sale every single time it happens. So, the first thing I would say is to really get 
clear on what that most simple system looks like, that process. So if someone finds out about you, where do they find out about you from? Is it from a referral? Is it from social media? And understanding that if you're utilizing social media, which is, you know, the core of what I talk about, that social media really is a, it's a connection tool and it's a traffic driver, but it needs to drive traffic to something. So, you know, most people are just like, oh, if I just post all the time, it's going to, you know, create these magical results. But in reality, I think that if you, let's say that you have, um, I'm just making this up. Let's say you have like a cornerstone blog post where you really dive deep into like sales psychology and you're really, you know, crushing people's objections through through this long form piece of content and really walking people through your your service and all that stuff. If you spent all of your energy just driving traffic to that one blog post instead of to, you know, 25 different posts, then more people would actually be able to convert from that one post and let's say book a call with you. And then if you know your process for, okay, once someone gets on a call with me, I know how to close them. Or I know that this is my current conversion rate and I'm working to get it up. If you just have the most simple sales process like that, it can make all the difference in your business, I believe. Yeah. And when I look at what you're doing, you know, it's interesting that you say it's simple because it seems like you're everywhere. Like I see you all over social media. You've got your podcast. It just seems like you're showing up in so many different places that um, it almost feels like you are a multiplier too. But um, I guess how would you – can you give some examples of how you look at it for your own business and what you're doing in your own business to keep it simple and to keep that sales system working? Yeah. Okay. So I'll I'll tell it to you from both sides, I guess, because my business has two sides. I have my services side where we work one-on-one with clients and provide done-for-you Instagram marketing services for growth and engagement. And then I have my digital product side where we have courses um, and our our membership, which is our signature program, Cubicle to CEO. That's also the name of our podcast and, you know, and our podcast, Cubicle to CEO. So when when I'm looking at my own social media, and this is kind of where I would kind of put this disclaimer again. Um, I think one of the main reasons people get so confused when they're listening to advice from different people is they they try to apply a marketing strategy from someone who may be A, in a completely different business model than them, and B, maybe at a completely different stage of their journey than them. So um, when I'm telling you what I'm doing, I'm saying this because I have a team that can help me fulfill on some of these things. So if I was doing this all by myself as a solopreneur, I would not be doing it. And also understanding that I am both a services and products-based business. And so some of the things that apply on the services side may not apply on the product side and vice versa. Um, But all that being said, my main traffic driver from a social media perspective is Instagram. That's where I focus my time. That's where I create my original content. Um, If you see me everywhere on Facebook, that is because of my amazing ads manager, Jenny. She is responsible for that, not me. Um, And so that's probably what is contributing to this this sense of omnipresence. Um, But again, that only came at a certain point in my business. I did not always have an ads manager. I did not start out running ads. In fact, I didn't do ads at all for my first two years of business. So I just want to, you know, be clear on that. Um, And then my other main content channel is my podcast. So I really believe that when you want to simplify your marketing, it's best to have a short-term and a long-term marketing channel. And to me, 
podcasting is one of the best long-term marketing strategies because your content can truly be evergreen on this platform. You know, people can find you from podcasts that you did years ago. And um, I, I love interviewing people. So it's also just like a, it ties in with my natural strengths and preferences and whatnot. But from the Instagram side, I see that as a short-term lead generator because I'm of the belief that you do not have to have a large following or audience on Instagram in order to generate leads. In fact, I think if you had literally 10 followers today, you could still generate leads on Instagram this week. If you shift your focus from content creation to instead client connection and going out and seeking the traffic where it's already been built inside communities um, on Instagram and being able to speak directly to whoever your target market is. So that's in a nutshell, like my marketing strategy is very, very simple. We only started adding ads, I think back in like end of March. So it hasn't been that long. So can will you walk us through your pathway, you know, taking people from stranger to paying clients? You know, when you, we talk about this simplified sales process, what does it look like in your business? Yeah, definitely. Um, on the services side, it's quite simple. Um, basically, any of my traffic drivers, so again, my podcast or Instagram, leads them to a client application form. And in my membership, we talk about how you actually build a client application form that converts, how you actually drive people to want to give you their information and hop on the phone with you. And then from there, you know, it's just a simple discovery call, connection call, usually 15, 20 minutes. And I have a pretty high close rate on that. So, you know, generally speaking, seven out of 10 people um, I talk to become clients and we retain our clients for generally six months or longer. So, you know, there's not a ton of turnover there. So we don't have to have a large volume of clients in order to have, you know, sustainable recurring income from that side. So services, um, especially if you have not hit your first six figures yet, I really recommend just keeping it super simple drive all your traffic to one thing, get get the the lead, right? Get the email, the phone number, whatever it is from that person and hop on a quick connection call with them to close that sale. On the digital product side, um, that side with the membership, it's fueled by a evergreen webinar. So that is my sales machine, right? That's where I drive all my traffic to. So again, you can see this recurring pattern. I have like one conversion method. And again, with my membership, it's that evergreen webinar. And instead of creating a bunch of different sales machines, I just have one and I focus all my energy on driving traffic to that one source. So um, the evergreen webinar is how we get new members in. And then for our other smaller um, front-end self-guided products and courses, those are mostly fueled through ads. And it's a it's a new arm of revenue that again we added about like six months ago in March. So it hasn't been that long um, that we've been doing it, but it's been so huge for the growth of our of our customer base. So let's talk about the services side. And I, I love how you've made it so simple with services and products and how you're driving traffic to to one landing page for each. For copywriters, you know, I'd say the majority of them are focusing on their services right now. So what could they be doing on Instagram to make a similar process work where they're sending people to, you know, a client application page? Uh, you mentioned that we only need 10 or 100 followers to really build this system. 
that might sound hard to believe for some copywriters who do have that following, but are just still like showing up and nothing's quite working for them on Instagram. So could you give some advice to copywriters on how to get this system working on the services side, especially if they've struggled on Instagram? Sure. So the system that I teach inside my membership is called the Consistent Clients Cash Flow System. You can't tell already. I'm like a super alliteration nerd, <laughs> all the C's. Um, and that system is broken down into three parts, connect, capture, and convert. And the first phase of that connect, that's really the focus of you know Instagram, in my opinion, in my eyes, for the purposes of getting more clients. And when I say, you know, it doesn't matter what your following size is, whether you have 10 followers or 10,000 or 100,000, um, I just mean that it's more important for you to get in front of the right people, to get in front of problem-aware people with your solution than it is to chase vanity metrics like how many followers did I grow by this month because, you know, likes don't pay your bills. And so when I'm looking at Instagram, when people say, you know, I put a lot of effort into marketing and I feel like I don't get any results from it, I usually ask them, you know, have you spent any time on the connection piece? Have you actually done outbound engagement? Are you consistent with outbound engagement? And most of the time people say no. They're like, no, I just, you know, I just create my content. And I'm like, okay, well, makes sense then why you may feel like you're not getting traction there because, you know, if you if you build it, they will not necessarily come, especially if you have a small following, right? You don't have that organic traction that can pick up and bring more people to your page. So one of my favorite ways to get um, service providers out there more and to get in front of problem-aware people is to utilize and leverage hashtags effectively. And I think hashtags are the great equalizer of Instagram that allow you to get in front of people who are already searching for the content that you post about. Um, regardless of your niche, your Instagram experience, or your following size. And so hashtag hacks, for example, is one of our front-end products. It's $27. You can implement it in a single day. And consistently every week I get messages from service providers who say, oh my gosh, like because I used hashtags correctly, I was able to, you know, like 60%, 70% of the people who saw my post today were not already following me. And so that increased visibility and getting in front of the right people really helps you drive more traffic to your um, client application form as well as doing outbound engagement. Interested in a couple of ideas around how we can better use hashtags. But before we move off of this, I'm curious, is there a difference between what you just described for services businesses versus a product-based business? Would you do anything differently or is it the same process basically? Driving traffic, I think, is the same. Um, where you drive the traffic to would be different, right? With services uh, the client application form, like I mentioned, is like the most simple sales funnel, so to speak. Um, for product-based businesses, certainly you want to drive to your sales machine directly. Because in a service-based business, if you're using sales calls as your sales machine, you are the sales machine. But with a products-based business, um, you might be driving them to, let's say, a landing page or a long-form sales page or a webinar or a challenge or whatever it is that you have decided is going to be what actually converts your, um, your person from lead to paying customer. Because with products, as you know, more volume is required. And in order to be 
scalable, you cannot be directly involved in every single transaction that happens. And so you have to have a self-sufficient sales machine somewhere that you're driving all your traffic to. But in terms of what creates the traffic, I think it's the same for both sides. Okay. So let's jump back to hashtags then. Can you give us one or two pointers? Uh, you know, I, I'm terrible at social media on my own social media <laughs> and also with the copywriter club, like what do I need to be doing to capture that, you know, 70% of the audience that doesn't follow me and I want them to see something that I might post. Sure. Yeah. And Rob, I'm sure you're much better than you give yourself credit for. But well, um, I don't know. I don't no, know. He's not. Do it. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Kira. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So this is a true humble moment. All right. Um, with hashtags, the biggest mistakes that I see people make with hashtags, I'll just list them off real quick. One, you use hashtags that are the wrong size, either too big or too small. If they're too big, your posts will get immediately buried in the recent feed of that hashtag pretty much as soon as you post it. If they're too small, and they're too niche, um, people are not searching it often enough for you to get the traffic volume that you need for your post to be seen. Second mistake I see is people use the same hashtags over and over and over again. This is the quickest way for you to get caught in Instagram's spam filter, essentially, because they're going to think that you're a bot basically copy-pasting the exact same hashtags for every single post. So variety is really key here. Um, if you find that there are certain hashtags that perform really well for your account, then absolutely make note of that and cycle them back through. Just make sure that you're not utilizing the same combination of hashtags in the same order for every post. And then the third biggest mistake that I see people make is that they actually use banned or restricted hashtags on Instagram, which again is a negative mark on your account. This one's a little tricky because this is ever changing. So for example, like the the example I always give is a couple of years back, hashtag Easter, which in and of itself is a very innocent hashtag, was actually a banned hashtag because um, on that holiday, you know, so many spam accounts and bot accounts were infiltrating that hashtag to try to get in front of millions of people who are using it on Easter. And because of that, there was there was too much content that went against Instagram's community guidelines. So they kind of shut the hashtag down. And when I say they shut it down, I mean they put their little like warning message saying, hey, this this um, hashtag has too many like reported incidents of da-da-da, like it's restricted. So just make sure that you are staying on top of your research. You're checking in on hashtags and making sure they're not banned or restricted. Um, and sometimes hashtags that are restricted come back into use. Like I know hashtag adulting was banned Um a while back. Now it's fine to use last time I checked at least. So just being aware and realizing that hashtag research should be a big part of your content creation process. If you are utilizing Instagram as one of your main traffic drivers, um, I think is, is important. And we go over my entire hashtag methodology and best practices inside hashtag hacks. Hearing Ellen talk about her business got me thinking about the basics any of us need to start a business. A lot of our podcast guests are doing these amazing things to grow and attract clients, but most of them weren't doing all of the things when they were just starting out. So let's talk about the very basics, the bare minimum things you need to do to start a successful business. Yeah. So this is one something that jumped out at me as well. You know, I 
as I think about copywriters and what we need, we sort of get this idea in our head that we can't start unless we have a website or that we have a, a network or that we've got leads coming in or that you know we're, we've got our invoicing software set up and our processes. And the fact of the matter is that we don't need any of that. You don't need project management software. You don't need ads. You don't need an ad manager. You don't even need social media. We've talked with copywriters who are doing well, who don't even have websites. The thing I think that you need is that you need to know how to write and you need to know at least the basics of how to sell. And then once you're able to write, find a client. And if you can't find a client, do it for yourself, write for yourself, write for your own website, write uh, copy for your own services, the products that you might want to create and start to sell them. What do you think? Is that, do you think there's more than that, Kira? <laughs> I think there is a little bit more than that. Um, but I do think those skills are important. Uh, marketing is also important. So I really like that Ellen's talking about figuring out your short-term marketing channel and your long-term marketing channel that we need, really need both, especially if you want to build a sustainable business. And so I like thinking of it in that way and doing both. It's a parallel path. You can't just do one or the other. And oftentimes we see copywriters focused on one. Maybe they're just focused on short-term marketing and like just kind of um, hustling really fast to get some work in, but they're not figuring out the long-term marketing plan and kind of planting the seeds uh, so that they can have more clients uh, and more interest in the long run and create that demand that will be there two years from now, five years from now. So I think as we're thinking about marketing, just figure out like what will get you clients tomorrow that's a little bit scrappier and could be, you know, cold emailing, um, could be reaching out to your network, could be sending an email to your list. And then what else could you be doing that is focused on long-term marketing, which could be um, pitching podcasts because that's definitely long-term and that's evergreen content that could help you a year from now, two years from now. Um, or it could be creating a really um, long-form article and getting published. Uh, there are many different uh, areas you could focus on with long-term and short-term, but make sure that you're making time for both and not forgetting about one or the other. Yeah. Short term is all about getting that money in the door, you know, today or in the next month or so that long term is all about building your authority and your credibility to make getting the money in next year or the year after that so much easier. And I agree. You've got to be doing both. Ellen also shared some really good ideas about using hashtags on Instagram. And Kira, I know you've been doing more on Instagram lately. I don't know if you're using hashtags a lot, but have you seen a difference in the way that you use hashtags versus maybe, or, or maybe differences that you're doing things differently in Instagram versus what you were doing, say, a year ago? <laughs> it's just a funny question because I'm, I'm not doing anything. Um, I'm the lazy marketer who's outsourced Instagram, as I've talked about before. So um, my social media manager, who's amazing, uh, Hira Asuma, is creating hashtags and showing up and doing all the brilliant things that you do on Instagram um, that is working and getting more engagement on the content. But I don't like, I have nothing to add as far as hashtags that would be helpful to this conversation. Yeah. It's funny. Cause I, I keep seeing this stuff pop up from, you know, your account and it tags either me or tags the copywriter club or, and so here is doing something right. Maybe we just need to have her come in and talk about this at some point. <laughs> 
She will. I told her she needs to come on the podcast and talk about everything she's doing and how she's helping me. But I'm really looking at it like the lazy marketer. What? How can I do less? Um, and this has been a really great area to outsource um, and gives me more control over some of the other areas that are bit more demanding right now <laughs> in business and in life. So um, it's really good at least to think about, if you don't want to think about hashtags, just think about what areas you could potentially outsource right now. If there's another area that's just really pulling all your energy and time, um, there could be another area you could let go of. Yeah. I actually like that idea because, you know, for instance, I struggle with the idea of cold pitching. I just, it's something that I just don't love. I've done it, but I don't love it. But if I were working with a VA who I could offload that onto them, it's something that they excel at. They could help me generate leads that way. You know, being that lazy marker, that would be, you know, one way to do that. But almost anything that we do as far as uh, marketing ourselves, getting ourselves out into the world could be offloaded onto somebody else who can help, who is really good at it, like what you've done with Insta. Yeah. I think we should talk more about being lazy marketers. Is that a good message to share with the world? Yeah, that's uh, maybe a, a podcast in itself. All right. So let's jump back into our interview with Ellen with a question about outbound engagement. Okay. So let's talk about outbound engagement because I hear what you're saying and I, I think you're right. You know, a lot of the copywriters who we work with who show up on Instagram, uh, myself included, like we post and we show up and, and then we wonder why nothing else is happening, but it's because that outbound piece is missing. So could you give some examples of what copywriters could do to gain some momentum in that space? Absolutely. I think it's about asking yourself this question, where does my ideal client already hang out? Um, in my in my masterclass, I teach this masterclass um, basically that goes over my consistent client's cash flow system. It's called How to Make Your First $10,000 Month Without a Large Audience. And one of the things that I say in that class is influence is easier to borrow than it is to create. And essentially what that means is, look, yes, you can spend all of your time building up this large audience to sell to. And community growth, don't get me wrong, is absolutely important and vital to the long-term sustainability of your business. So I'm not saying it's not a worthwhile endeavor, but if that is your sole focus and you believe that you must first achieve that in order to get your first paying client, I think you're kind of doing it backwards. So in terms of outbound engagement, thinking about, okay, where does my ideal client already hang out? What influencers, what hashtag communities, what you know, accounts have already created this traffic ripe full of people who are the perfect fit um, for my service that I can help. Where do they already exist? And how do I get in front of them? How do I interact with them? How do I, you know, make myself known through authentic engagement with these people? And if you focus more of your time on connection, if your messaging is good, which as a copywriter, I would assume it would be, um, those people who, you know, you engage with are naturally going to be curious because we as humans are just curious and be drawn to your profile. And if your messaging is on point and it really speaks to them, they're going to have a reason to stick around. And that's when you actually bring them into your fold and looking at your content. And if your content is set up the right way to actually drive conversions, now you're actually bringing people to, you know, click the link in your bio to fill out your application form or to go to your sales machine or whatever it is. Um, but connection has to come first before the conversion. 
Can we get a little bit more granular on that? So I'm assuming that you're not just saying, oh, your audience is on Instagram, so go to Instagram. You're, you're talking about really dialing into a curated audience within Instagram, whether it's with some other influencers or with hashtags or whatever. So, you know, let's say that I wanted to do that for my own copywriting business. What would I look for in order to connect with somebody else's audience to get that started? Sure. I mean, one of the easiest ways is to think about who is someone in my space that already has built up a large audience of similar people to the ones I want to serve, but they have a complimentary service. So I'm going to target Kira's audience. Is that, that sounds like maybe exactly. might work for me. Yeah. Okay. That's one way you could go about it for sure. And when I say, when I say focus on authentic, authentic engagement, I really mean that like you do not want to be that person who slides into someone's DMs with this pitch, right? Like I get that all the time. That is not connection at all. You really want to think about social media like real life. In real life, you rarely would ever walk up to a stranger and immediately launch into a spiel about how awesome your service is and how you really think that, you know, their copywriting could be improved and you notice this and you want to help with that. It's just so awkward. Like that would never happen at a business networking meeting or really anywhere in real life. And so you have to think about social media in the same way, right? People want to feel seen and heard first. Um, one of my favorite quotes is, um, you become interesting by being interested. And I really think it's key here. So when you're connecting with people, it's not about you. And I like to advise my audience, be like a detective. You're not here to confirm your own biases about anyone. You're here to explore and to ask questions and to try to get to know people better. So make it about them. Make them feel seen. Make them feel interesting because they are. I mean, they should be. If they are your ideal client, then you should naturally find them quite interesting. Um, and focus on that connection piece first because if you do a good job of that, it is very likely that they will come over to your profile to check you out like, hey, who is this Kira or who is this Rob that's you know striking up this really awesome conversation with me? And again, if your content, if your copywriting, if your messaging is on point, that's when you've hooked them in and pulled them into now your sales funnel or your community, whatever it may be. Since we're talking about Instagram, can you just give us a quick rundown of the state of the union on Instagram today as far as what else is working? What's not working today? I mean, and then even Instagram reels and <laughs> everyone has the reel happening with um, what's working, what's not working for people who maybe aren't paying as much attention to it, but should be. Yeah. And okay. I love this question because a lot of times people come to me because they're like, oh, you're, you're like the Instagram expert, right? And I'm like, ah, I mean, yes, but no, because <laughs> because I think I, I just view social media in a very different way than I think most, quote unquote, Instagram experts. Because while most Instagram experts on Instagram or on YouTube or whatever who are talking about this topic, they're always like on the ball with like, this is the upcoming trend. This is the algorithm change of 2020. This is da, 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 da. This is the new hack to try. I'm I'm very much not like that um, because I think it's exhausting to try to chase the algorithm all the time and try to understand every little nuance about it. Um, and oftentimes when you are doing that, you're really just chasing, again, after what I consider to be vanity metrics, like, oh, does this grow my following? Does this boost my likes? And I just honestly could care less about any of that. So when I think about Instagram, I'm really, again, it all goes back to 
okay, how do I most genuinely engage with people? And for me, like the two most key features I utilize on Instagram are Instagram stories and Instagram DMs. Stories because people crave authenticity. They want to get to actually know you and understand you and have community with you, right? To be able to converse through polls or through replying to your story or just kind of getting to know you. And video is so powerful. So um, stories is one of my favorite ways. It's also a really great way to really show up at the literally at the top of your um, audience's feed. And if they're constantly watching your stories, you always get pushed to the front again when you post a new one. So that's one of the best ways to get in front of people. Um, DMs, because it's one of the last features on Instagram that is actually chronological and not at the whim of the algorithm. So you actually see every DM that comes into your inbox and it's sent in the correct order. And so that is such a key place for me for connection. I can I have so many conversions that happen directly in DMs. So that is a big feature for me. Now speaking to what's currently going on with like IG Reels, anytime Instagram releases a new feature, that's your that's your golden opportunity to be an early adopter. They really really reward um early adopters of their new features with expanded organic reach. So while I don't like to chase the algorithm by any means, um, if if there is a new opportunity like IG Reels in its first weeks and months, definitely try it out and see if you like it um, because Instagram will naturally push that content out and prioritize it in the feed over other pieces of content. The same thing happened when stories first came out. The same thing happened with IGTV. All the early adopters got this influx of um, reach and visibility that just eventually kind of petered out as the algorithm adapted. But if you can be an early adopter, awesome, definitely do it. So we started out talking about you know being minimalist in our marketing, um, and as I listen to you talk about Instagram and what you do and your approach, you know, to your your own funnels, and then also you know stories and posts and hashtags and DMs and reels, it, it's not feeling real minimal to me anymore. Um, so what would you say to somebody who's like, wait a second, this is starting to feel really complex. What are the basics that I really should focus down on? Yeah, good question. I mean, those are all features of the same platform and you definitely don't need to do all things every day. I mean, I if you look at my feed, I probably post like, I don't know, maybe like four times a month. Um, so definitely not super active on posting every day. But in terms of prioritization, I think and I probably sound like a broken record at this point, but connection, 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 a thousand percent. You want to always get yourself in front of new people every day who are, again, the right people, the right traffic. Um, so if I only have 15 minutes that day to focus on my marketing, I am I am doing the outbound engagement. That's where my focus goes because I need to draw new people into my sphere, right? My sphere of awareness. And if you're, again, if your content is set up correctly, I really believe in the power of evergreen content. I I really utilize, you know, like sales psychology in in the content that I create. I know that my content is powerful enough that if I just drive the right people to it, it will do its job. Like for example, there's one IG reel that I posted at this point almost two weeks ago, um, and the call to action is like DM me game plan if you want to talk about you know getting to your first 10k month as a service provider, and I mean. I've only posted two times since then. And that reel that's now like two-ish weeks old, 
every single day, I'm still getting DMs from people saying game plan, game plan, game plan. These are inbound leads saying, I want you to tell me more about your services, your programs, how you can help me. And the first day that I posted that, I actually had like um, between like the first one or two days, I think I had like 60 plus messages from people wanting to talk about it. So I would focus less on how can I create a ton of content and instead of think, how can I create quality content that when I actually drive the right people to it, converts on its own so it sells for me even when I'm not actively on social media 24-7. And what were you selling with the game plan Instagram reel? What, when people respond to you and say, I want you know game plan, I want a game plan, what happens after that? Yeah. Okay. So that IG reel in specific, um, it was me saying, this is what people think you need to do to get clients. And it was like, you know, um, grow a huge following, post every day, run expensive Facebook ads. And I was like, kind of like showcasing some of the things that I, I've heard from, you know, my own people, like this is what I've been told. And then instead I said, what you actually need to do. And then I said, you know, focus on connection. Like some of the things we've talked about today, like use hashtags. Um, and when they message me game plan, basically, uh, it's for us to to kind of like reverse engineer how they get to their first 10K months. So I ask them a lot of questions. I just, you know, like the first thing I ask them is, okay, what's your business? Do you sell services? Do you sell products? Um, I will say my 10K game plan is specific to service providers. So if they tell me like, oh, I'm a boutique owner and, you know, I have an Etsy shop or e-commerce or whatever, immediately I'm like, okay, this is not um, going to be the best resource for you, but tell me about what your growth goal is right now and where you feel most stuck. And Oftentimes, if they tell me, you know, if I can just get to know them a little bit more, there's another resource I can point them to or someone I can refer them out to. So either way, I try to be of service to someone. Um, but for the most part, it's actually looking into their numbers and saying, okay, how many clients would it take for you to get there? What's your conversion rate? How many leads do you need? And then directing them to the next right step for them to take action on that. And usually, you know, I'm sending people over to my webinar, to my masterclass the um, 10K month masterclass for them to get acquainted with my consistent client's cash flow system. And if it's a good fit, then great. Then they can join me inside my membership. Okay. So it sounds like a little bit of back and forth in your DMs with that person, getting their numbers, figuring out the right resource if the webinar is the right place to send them. And then maybe after a short exchange, send them to the webinar if it's a good fit. Is that right? Yes, exactly. Yep. You got it. Okay, cool. Uh, so I'd love to hear more about how you balance the services side and the product side of your business, uh, because a lot of copywriters we know, you know, started with the services and then have introduced products once they kind of get the ser services side down. And we do that as well. Rob and I both do that and juggle both. It's not always easy to keep both sides running. As you said, like it's a different uh, sales cycle, marketing's different. Um, can you just give advice to any copywriters who are starting the product side or just started it and are struggling to keep both of them running and, and grow both sides of the business? Yeah, that's a really excellent question. Um, for me personally, the way that I'm able to balance them and well, balance is really elusive. I, I don't really ever think that anything is in full equal balance all the time, but, um, actually, okay. To back up a little bit, when I, um, the first two years of my business were all focused on services. I wanted to get into digital products for a very long time. Um, but I, you know, client work would always take over and then I would make excuses like I don't have time and you know, it's just, it's too much. And so 
I realized at a certain point, okay, if I want to do this, I have to create the time. Like the time will not appear for me. It just won't happen. And so I actually, I'm kind of like a very weird, um, what's the word? I'm, I'm blanking on the word, but I, I'm very indecisive as a person in real life, like about the most mundane things, like what do you want to order on this menu? Where should we eat tonight? But I'm very impulsive um, when it comes to like big altering decisions. And so <laughs> in uh, fall of last year, so like this was I think around September 2019, I um, I realized this about myself. I was like, okay, I really want to get into products. So I actually kind of took some drastic measures and we basically phased out all of our clients um, on the agency side, except for I think we kept two people. That's it. Um, and so I, I mean, I literally cut our revenue by like over $10,000 a month um, overnight, essentially. And I know that sounds really crazy and I'm definitely not saying to do this, but I'm just kind of trying to pr- provide context here. So I did that because I knew I needed to create the time and space for me to actually build the sales machine for this um for this membership. And again, my sales machine or my sales system for the membership is the Evergreen webinar. And so I knew I needed to dedicate time to actually get this off the ground. And earlier this morning, I was actually talking to my friend Tanya on a podcast about, and she she said something great, which I'll repeat here. She was like, you have to learn how to sell actively before you can sell passively. And so um, during the next 30 days, I you know, I really dove into market research, into trying to understand these people, how they thought, how they talked. And I spent all my time just creating this webinar. And if I had not made those drastic moves and phased out my clients, I think I never truly would have found the time to really dedicate to building this asset, really. That's how I look at it. Um, That would convert leads for me day in, day out, um, forevermore after. And so because I spent the time up front to do that, um, it's much easier for me to balance now on the back end because I have something consistent, again, that I can send people to. Like I just mentioned in the DMs, when we get to a certain point in the conversation, I'm like, okay, the next be- best step would be for you to watch my masterclass so you can actually understand the system that I use and see if it's the right fit for you. And so if I didn't have that foundation built, it would be much harder for me to balance services and products and selling both because, again, I would be trying to create every sales transaction from scratch. And instead of having a converting client application form and a converting webinar, I would be trying to individually sell every single person on why they should work with me. And that's you know a recipe for burnout for sure. So you mentioned your uh, masterclass that teaches people how to make 10K in a month. And for a lot of copywriters, I'm guessing that number feels kind of out of reach, especially when you know that, you know, the average copywriter only makes, you know, between 10 and $20,000 a year. Can you give us a couple, I I don't necessarily, I'm not asking for a free masterclass here, but can you give us just a couple of steps that we can start to take in order to reach, you know, a big number like that, a a $10,000 a month in our own businesses? Yeah, I think um, so. Uh, someone I really admire in business, Casey Graham. Um, you know, he was he was a guest on our podcast recently, and we talked about this thing called the forgotten funnel, and it's uh, retention, <laughs> customer retention. Right? Everyone's so focused on how do I get new clients that they often forget about extending the lifetime value of the ones they already have, and so I think that that's a huge piece I would focus on. Um, a lot of 
copywriters, graphic designers, even social media managers that I run across who are, you know, struggling in the let's say 2 to 3k month range right now and they're having a hard time getting beyond that. Um oftentimes when I talk to them, we quickly realize that most of their income comes from client projects, like one-off projects, not retainer clients. And so that's the biggest shift I would look at first is where is my income coming from? Like what am I actually charging people? Are they staying with me for a certain amount of time or am I literally doing like am I just, you know, writing one sales page for them and then, you know, peace out. So retention is huge and then the ones that, you know, are with you, the clients that you already have, those are your best customers. They've already experienced your work. They already trust you. It's much easier to sell someone who is already a customer than to try to sell someone brand new. And so thinking about how can you, again, extend the value of each of these clients through upsells, through building out your value ladder. This one was huge for um, like one of our members. She she was a uh, or she is a website designer. And just in these small tweaks of creating, you know, upgraded packages, she was able to add thousands of dollars to her monthly income. And, you know, we like doubled her revenue in a short period of time. And it wasn't because she went out and got a bunch of new clients. It was because she again, extended the value of the ones she already had. So retention for sure. Um, this, the second thing I would say is evaluating your actual pricing. Um, I think that a lot of people underprice themselves and it's because they have a hard time aligning their, their ideal clients with the value, um, the perceived value. Right. They and so they constantly undercut themselves or, or or try to offer discounts to get people in the door. Um, so I think pricing is a huge and difficult uh thing to master, but for sure raising prices and offering more high ticket services will really help with getting to that 10K month without working yourself to the bone. Okay, we're jumping back in here to talk briefly about a couple of things, starting with influence and whether you should be creating it or borrowing it. I really liked the way that she talked through this. Ellen's really smart on this. So what do you think, Kira? When should you build and when should you borrow? Hmm, that's a good question. I mean, when I think of it, it makes me cringe a little bit because I think of those people who like take photos with influencers and post the photos on their website. And there's no, there's, I was going to say, there's no judgment. There's a little bit of judgment. Um, That works for you. Great. Uh, But I do think the concept that Ellen shared is important that you can build it or borrow it. I like the idea of first building it, starting with your own influence and the media channel that you can build first, that you own, that you own the creative direction for, and you can shape and you have that evergreen content. So for us, it would be the TCC podcast. That is our influence that we own and we've built. But after you figure that out and put the time into like systematizing it, getting that going, um, you can free up some space to start to borrow. And that's when you can borrow by going on other people's podcasts. And that's when you can build relationships and borrow other audiences too by speaking as a guest in their communities. But I do think that if you want to start borrowing first, it's not bad as long as eventually like you do build your own. Um, It just gives you more credibility and um, more leverage when you have built your own and more creative freedom to do that as well. And it's easier to borrow if you have built your own so you can have reciprocate and exchange and say, hey, like now that 
you've helped me. I've borrowed from you. Like, how can I help you? I've built this over here. How can I welcome you in here and help you out? Yeah, there is some irony that it's easier to borrow after you've built your own. But it, like you said, it's also easier just to uh, connect and to borrow, you know, especially when you're first starting out, you know, to start out and think, well, I've got to have a podcast or I've got to have a YouTube show or I've got to have a newsletter or, you know, uh, a big list or whatever. That can be pretty daunting. And so when you're just starting out, you might think, okay, where's a group where I can start contributing? And, you know, how do I show up in a way that my borrowing of somebody else's group or their authority isn't me taking, but it's me giving. And I think really good example of this is what we talked about with Liz Painter uh, a week or so ago um, in how she shows up on LinkedIn. So she wasn't necessarily posting her own content, but she started making comments on other people's content. So the conversation was going on and she started to contribute there and it made a difference. It got her noticed and she even had landed a client that way. Uh, it's the same thing, you know, in larger groups, you know, on Facebook or, you know, showing up as a guest on a podcast, the same kind of a thing where you're showing up, you're adding value. And then, yeah, it, once you start doing it, obviously you do need to start building your own platform, whatever that platform happens to be. Yeah. And I think many of us tend to wait too long to build our own platform. So yes, borrow. Yes, it works, but don't wait too long to build your platform, especially if that's something you're excited about. Uh, it's easy to put it off. It's easy to question it and to, for the imposter complex to swoop in and um, tell you you shouldn't do it or you're not ready to do it. Rob, what else stood out to you? So there was one of the comment that Ellen made that I thought was really insightful when she started talking about the forgotten funnel. That is this idea that we don't spend nearly enough time retaining our clients. And I think this is, we've, we've talked about this once or twice on the podcast before, but I'm not sure how much we've emphasized it with so many copywriters working project to project. We spend so much time looking for the next project and the next client where it might be easier in a lot of cases to continue working with the clients that we already have. And so seeing the forgotten funnel as part of the marketing mix, I think is pretty big, especially again, because oftentimes we're thinking, okay, I need an acquisition funnel and I need a, another funnel that's going to sell this product. And we're talking about all of these funnels that are aimed at new audiences. And there might be some things we can do around retention that could really help our businesses move forward. Yeah, I feel like I used to be more of a one-night stand type of gal when it comes to copywriting projects. Um, but now I actually feel really excited if I have a client return to me and ask for another project and share a win, you know, since the last time we worked together and want to do more work together. Um, I feel like that's a really good sign of a healthy business. And so, um, again, you're right. Like it's so much less work to sign up a client you've already worked with and, um, to onboard them because you already know each other, you know how each other works. So I think that's the real success of a lot of top copywriters. It's understanding the importance of that forgotten funnel and retaining clients. Yeah. And when Ellen's talking about, you know, minimalism as a part of your marketing, this is a really good place to practice that because you're not doing a whole bunch of other new things. You're just working with the clients you've already got. Let's go back and finish up our interview with Ellen and talk about how she tracks her income. Ellen, I know you track your income in numbers and share your, your income reports with your audience, and it's even your lead magnet on your website currently. As you've been tracking and sharing your numbers, what, what surprised you the most about the experience? I mean, maybe even from just analyzing your own numbers and then also 
what happens when you share it with the world? Um, have you had any surprises or lessons learned along the way? Ooh, I love this question, Kira. Um, yeah, I mean, okay. So I, for those of you who don't know what Kira is referring to, I have this um, six figures in six months case study that's on the homepage of my website. Um, and basically in 2019, I tracked my monthly income and shared it in a report um, for six months. And I compiled that, you know, into like a case study. And it, and it goes over how I made over $102,000 in a six-month time window in 2019. And at that time, my business, again, was primarily services. So, you know, mostly from services. And it's interesting. What that experience taught me is that I had a lot of mindset issues to work through, actually. I think that was my biggest takeaway for myself um, because what I realized is I was kind of falling by this, like, you know, every month as an entrepreneur, first day of the month, your income returns to zero, right? You start over from the bottom. Um, and so it, w I felt a lot of pressure, even though it was like self-imposed, obviously I'm not crazy to think that people, you know, are like stalking my every move and like desperately waiting for my income reports by any means. But because I knew I had the accountability of sharing my numbers and I was very transparent, I mean, down to the cent, I was like, this is exactly what I earned. This is exactly what my expenses were and where they went. And most people already thought I was crazy for doing that. But knowing that I had to put that information out there, it created stress in me sometimes because I was like, oh my gosh, like, well, if, for example, back in, 2019, my very first time I hit a $20,000 month was February of 2019, um, which is crazy to think back on now because this last month in August, um, we just hit our highest income month ever. I think we we just barely grazed over 77,000. And so the the amount that that has grown in, you know, a very short amount of time has been just mind-blowing to me. But at that time, I remember hitting this high, right? And I was super excited. But then I was nervous because I was like, oh my gosh, well, now people expect this. Like I I created $20,000. So what if I don't do it again in March? Then what? People will be like, oh, you're a failure. You don't know what you're talking about, da, 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 all these things. Obviously, again, probably not true. But, you know, in your head, that's that's the the soundtrack I was playing to myself. So what I realized from that experience is that it was really unhealthy for me to create these monthly income reports because business isn't linear in growth. Um, and I think that's the lesson that I learned is that, yes, you will hit these highs. Sometimes you'll hit a high and the next month could be your lowest ever. I mean, you're figuring things out. And so what I realized from that experience is that I like the transparency of sharing my monthly income reports because I get a lot of awesome messages from entrepreneurs saying, thank you so much for you know being vulnerable and honest and and what's happening in your business because I'm learning from it too, like alongside of you. And that's great. And I don't want to stop that. But um, I shifted to, to offering quarterly income reports instead because for me now I realize, okay, I need to take a step back and not be so like month to month, but look at trends quarter to quarter and year over year. Like year over year, am I growing or am I sinking? Quarter over quarter, what are the trends actually saying? Are they saying that what I'm doing is working or what I'm doing is not working and how do we pivot based on that? So these days, um, I don't actually share it as a written report over email anymore, but I every month or sorry, every quarter, um, I hop on the podcast and I share my numbers and I go over you know the failures we had, the successes we had, what I learned, um, my big takeaways. And so you know my Q3 income report will be coming out, I guess, uh, probably early October 
once September wraps up. So we've talked a lot about how you make money, your income, the revenue side. Um, are you willing to share some of the uh, expenses and the investments that you make in your business, especially the investments that you feel like are really worth continuing and they're helping you to grow? Yeah, absolutely, Rob. I'm totally an open book, guys. So <laughs> I share all my numbers all the time. Um, my big investments that I think have been really worthwhile um, – I know I keep quoting other people on this podcast, but it's I, I truly just feel so lucky to have a circle of friends that I that I just admire so much and I learn so much from. Um, my friend Ryan Lee, he said something to me that really resonated with me, and um, it's this idea of when you're asking yourself what to invest in, the top three things that you can invest in are your mindset, your skill sets, and your network. Not necessarily in that order, but those are your three greatest assets. And so when I'm looking at how I invest my money, A, I always, always, and this is since the beginning, this is since I started my business when I had one $300 local client and that's it. Like I wasn't making any money. Um, I still set aside money for uh, for mentorship programs and improving my skill sets. Continuing education is so key to me. Um, personal growth and development is such a core value, not only to myself, but to my company. And so no matter what our sales or revenue look like, we always set aside money every single year for continuing education. So that's really key there. Um, and I really believe that the programs and the mentors and the coaches that I have invested in throughout the course of my three years in business have paid huge dividends in my business, whether it was monetary or whether it was something completely different. And that's another key piece of advice I would give to people is oftentimes especially those who are newer to investing in themselves in their business. Um, I see a lot of people get frustrated when they invest in something and maybe it didn't pan out exactly the way they had in, that they had anticipated or hoped for. Perhaps like, you know, maybe they spent like $5,000 on a program and they were expecting to at least double their, you know, return on investment and they didn't. And they're like, oh, that was a total failure, a waste of money. Like, can't believe I did that. This sucks. Da, 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 da. I would challenge you instead to think to yourself, okay, if the monetary return was not there, what else did I learn or take away from this experience? Did I learn maybe what I don't like in a coach or mentor that I, that I can take that wisdom into a future uh, you know, investment experience? Did I perhaps get exposed to a different network of people? Did I form relationships that may pay off in different ways down the road? Um, what are other things that I learned from this experience that may not be tangible right in the here and now from a monetary perspective that will pay off in my life and in my business? And I think if you can learn to look at investments that way, it will totally change the way that you approach business. And that's been really, really key for me. So definitely continuing education. And then I will say the biggest shift from being a six-figure entrepreneur to now growing into uh, seven figures, which if all our projections work out, we should be, you know, hitting that mark um, in 2021. I think the biggest shift for me has been now investing in team. Um, that was a hard transition for me, actually, because it's, you know, it's one thing when you're just kind of doing this thing as your own thing, but to be accountable and responsible for other people's pay and their you know, their health insurance and like all of these other things that I now that I have employees, um, it kind of just shifts your mindset. And, and, and instead of looking at everything like, how do I do this? It's who is the right person to 
to own this responsibility and how do I invest in them? How do I give them the tools to succeed in this role? Um, so I think investing in team has been big for me. You know, like I mentioned earlier, I hired an ads manager in in late March and um, or not in late March, sorry. I started ads in March and then I hired her in early summer. Um, and that was one of the biggest investments I've ever made from a monthly recurring basis, probably the biggest actually that expense I've ever um, added to my business. And that was really scary. And it required me to think differently and to kind of become a new version of myself. And I think that's kind of what happens when you invest. You have to step outside of your comfort zone and become a new version of yourself every time. When you interviewed me on your podcast, I remember you mentioned you had seven at least seven other podcast interviews that same day. <laughs> and I was blown away because Rob and I might do two in a row, but usually no more than that. Although we're open to change, to batching moving forward. So I would love to hear more about how you uh, structure your days and weeks for productivity because I have a feeling that you do it well. Thank you, Kara. Well, your <laughs> your assessment of me might be a little bit off there. I, it's Productivity is definitely, I think, one of my um, – or time management, I should say, is probably actually one of my weaker points that I'm really, really working on, especially now that I have a team. I mean, it, it doesn't affect just me anymore. It's like, how do we all work most efficiently together? So um, that day in particular that you're referring to, Kara, I, that was actually just a mismanagement of scheduling on my end. Um, and I accidentally booked way too many podcast interviews. So I, I would not recommend recording seven in a row. I was pretty exhausted by the end of that day. So was my voice. And so I do though like to batch like tasks together because, um, every time you're, you've probably heard this like statistic before, I don't remember the exact numbers, but every time your brain has to switch between, different tasks, you lose a ton of time and productivity in that gap. And so um, my podcast manager, Paige, and I just decided, okay, we're going to record all podcasts on Thursdays, whether we're on someone else's podcast or they're on ours. Obviously, there are certain exceptions to that rule. But in general, we try to batch all podcasting on Thursdays. Um, same thing with meetings. Like I try to congregate – like if I'm going to have meetings, I would rather have a full day of meetings than like one meeting every day spread throughout the week. Um, because again, I feel like every time you just switch tasks, it just distracts you. You have to put on a new like thinking cap and you just waste a lot of time in the transition. Um, so in terms of other productivity though, I one of the things that we're trying to ad adopt um, is a project management system. We use ClickUp um, and just being able to create um, like priority for, okay, what what actually – needs to be done each day in order to move the needle, like what actually matters the most, because I really believe that 80% of our results come from 20% of the things we do. So there's a lot of stuff we think we have to do that we could actually cut out, which again, kind of brings us back to the whole marketing minimalism idea of, you know, I, I really believe most of the things we think we have to do in marketing don't actually move the needle that much and we could just cut it out. Um, so I don't know if that fully answers your question, but I guess what I'm trying to say is it's a work in progress, but um, there's a really great book called One The One Thing. I can't remember who it's by, um, but the question, the big question they ask in that book is, what is the one thing um, that if you did today, it would make everything else on your list either easier or unnecessary? 
I think it's like one of the most brilliant questions ever asked. And I was like, oh, that's so good. So I try to ask myself that every morning. Like what is the one thing I could do today that if I complete it, it makes everything else on my list either easier or unnecessary? That, that's a great question. I think that book is by uh, Gary Keller, if I if I remember yes. right. So, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, as I as I think about that, um, I, I was actually thinking like, what is the one thing in your business that you've been able to do consistently? Maybe the secret of your success that you can pass on to, especially to me, because I want to be successful, uh, but to the rest of our listeners as well. There's so many things. So many one things. Yeah, there's so many, there's so many I mean, things that I could say. And I feel like a lot of times when people ask this question, they're looking for something tactical, right? Like they want to be like, oh, it, was it like ads or was it email marketing or something? But I'm, I'm going to not answer this from a tactical standpoint. I think that's actually, you know, more surface level. Um, I would say the biggest thing that has allowed me to move, move at the pace that I have in my business is the ability to embrace failure fullheartedly. Um, I truly don't care if I fail. I know that sounds kind of weird, but like, I just, I, I embrace it. I'm like, okay, if we're going to do something, maybe we fall flat on our face. Maybe no one buys, maybe this totally sucks, but oh well, because we learn, we learn something from that. And the faster I can learn something, the smarter I can get about something, the faster we're going to move. So I really embrace this like culture of failing forward and just not being embarrassed about where you start. And one of the things I always tell people is if you, if you're not embarrassed by your first attempt at something, you waited too long to try. So, um, even like with podcasting, like if you go back and listen to my very first episode, like, I mean, I'm using the same mic now. I have like a very basic mic, like a $99, I don't know, Yeti, um, blue, blue Yeti microphone or whatever. Um, but if you go back and listen to like my first five or six podcast episodes, I don't know what was happening. I don't know if it was the room I was in or I just didn't know how to use this microphone, but the sound quality is bad. Like I don't, it's like echoey and just like very not clear compared to what it is now. Nothing changed. I mean, my, my microphone is literally exactly the same and I haven't upgraded my equipment, but, um, you know, if I hadn't done that, like at the beginning and just got those things out there, I would not have learned enough to fix whatever was going on and to get better at interviews and all that. So I think just starting, starting before you're ready and not waiting for the perfect timing because there is no such thing and embracing failure. That wraps up our interview with Ellen. Is there anything else that jumped out at you, Kara, from the last few minutes of this uh, discussion? Well, I, it reminded me of what we talked uh, to Mike Kim about on episode 200 and the concept of investing and where you should invest. And I know Mike said investing, you know, invest in courses, contractors, or coaching. And um, Ellen shared something similar. She invests in mindset, skill set, or network. And so I think breaking it down, whether you break it down one way or the other, um, those are the key areas that I'm always thinking about too. And sometimes you don't you don't need all, to invest in all of them at the same time. Um, but just thinking through where are you possibly lacking or needing more support right now? Do you feel like your network isn't as strong as you would like it to be? Or maybe you don't feel as confident in your skills. You want to kind of up-level your skills. Or you're get, if you're getting in your own way, which let's face it, as copywriters, we tend to do that, then the mindset focus is really key because the mindset can help you with all the areas of your business if you tackle that. So, you know, like many things, it comes back to 
being aware of your business and where the weak, the weak parts are and where the um, stronger parts are and investing in the areas that may need some help. Yeah. Obviously, we've talked a lot about investing in ourselves, investing in yourself or your business as we've done, you know, I don't know, 214 episodes of the podcast, right? But one of the things Ellen said that really stood out to me is when you're looking at the investments that maybe didn't perform as well as you had hoped, that you could still be learning things. And, you know, she specifically mentioned, you know, if you've, if you've bought a course, you've joined a program or you've invested in a coach and that has done something to, you know, expand your network, or it's given you some kind of an experience you didn't have, or you've gained some kind of wisdom, even if it's only what not to do when you do your own, you know, version of a course, or, you know, if you decide to, you want to do coaching or copy chiefing or, you know, something else, what not to do, you know, looking for new ideas, new people that you were introduced. Uh, not all investments that we go into thinking, oh, I'm going to get X out of it uh, are bad simply because we didn't get X because oftentimes we got a Y and a B and a C and an A and a bunch of other things too. And the way that she reframed that, I think was just a nice reminder to me that uh, it's not always about the things that we expect. Sometimes it's the stuff that comes adjacent to the things that we expect that really help us move forward. Rob, Ellen shared her one thing, the one thing that's helped her create the most success. But I don't know what your one thing is. I can take maybe a guess at what I think it is, but what has made you, what has led to the most success for you? I want you to take a guess actually, because I I have an idea, but I want to hear what you think it would be. <laughs> I, it's it's a little abstract, but I would say it goes back to mastery and um, that you are a true student and constantly learning and um, reading and kind of questioning and um, and teaching from that place too. So the place of mastery is where I think you add a lot of value to this podcast and to the copywriter community. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. I think mastery would be one of the two things that I would say. The other one is maybe a little bit harder to wrap my brain around, but maybe it's best described as serendipity. Um, you know, Ooh, sort of having, cool. well, it's, it's sort of having, I guess there's really almost two ways to go about engineering a career, right? I mean, there are people who know what they want to be when they're 50 or they're 70, you know, they, they have it all mapped out and they, you know, do, they do university or they, you know, go through whatever the early on career experiences are. And then there's this other pathway that sort of lets things happen too. And, uh, I certainly haven't gone all the way over to, Oh, just let life happen. I've, I've definitely planned things out, but I'm also really interested in things that just kind of come along and grabbing the opportunity uh, where that is. And um, my willingness to maybe um, try out things that weren't on my initial career path, I think have, has helped me a lot. And then when I combine that with what you were saying, mastery, I think that uh, it just gives me a lot of new opportunities to learn things that maybe I wouldn't have thought I would have been learning in my 20s or 30s. Wow. I feel like serendipity is cool. I think that's a little bit woo for you. I like it. it. Yeah, it might be. Nobody tell Linda Perry. So (laughs) what would you say is your one thing, Kira, when it comes to the, the thing that's made you a bigger success or has helped you succeed in ways that maybe you didn't expect? I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I don't, I'll let you choose. What, What do you think it is? 
So my guess would be that it is, you're a, a connector and you're very accepting of everybody. You enjoy, you really truly enjoy what we all call networking, but not because it's networking. You're just making friends with people. You're creating relationships. You like being around people. And I think you're energized by that in ways that maybe a lot of copywriters aren't. Uh, certainly those of us who are maybe a little more introverted uh, when we'd like to disappear into the hotel room at the end of the day and you, uh, you like to hang out with people. I think that's certainly I just, well. I just like the alcohol. Um, I mean, that makes me sound like an extrovert, which is interesting because I think I'm such an extreme introvert. Um, but you're right. I do really enjoy people. So I don't, I, maybe it is truly like people person, people energized, extreme introvert. But I just, yeah, I just like people. I don't know. It's weird. I mean, most people, not a couple people. Maybe. And maybe. <laughs> even maybe even maybe the people you don't like, you can have a cordial conversation with them and they would walk away thinking, oh, she likes me. And I think that is a superpower. Oh, um, yes. But uh, I think dealing with people, I like dealing with people, I like hanging out with people. I like spending time with people. Um, and I, I think it's more seeing the best in people, uh, which is always a good thing, right? So <laughs> I think it's seeing good in people and seeing their superpowers, which has been helpful in what I do as a copywriter, what we do with the Copywriter Club. Um, but as much as I love people, I also love to be alone. So I have to make that clear. Like I love alone time, um, but you can have both. That's what our superpowers as copywriters is we can have alone time and be our introverted self. And we can also get crazy and stay out till 3 a.m. when we get together with other copywriters because that's what we do. That's what we do. Or at least that's what you do. I, <laughs> I, I always try to drag you out until uh, like, I think it's like the 10 p.m. mark, maybe 11 p.m. I'm not sure when you dip out. You kind of like quietly dip out and I try to get you to stay out. One, one day I'll get you to stay out till 3 a.m., 2 a.m. maybe. Someday, someday it's coming. All right. So we want to thank Ellen Yin for joining us for this episode. If you want to hear Ellen's interview with me... You can check that out at the Cubicle to CEO podcast. It's the August 24th episode. And as you may have guessed from what she shared, Ellen is very active on Instagram. You can find her there at Miss Ellen Yin. And finally, to learn more about her programs, simply visit ellenyin.com. That's the end of another episode of the Copywriter Club podcast. Our intro music was composed by a copywriter and songwriter, Addison Rice. The outro was composed by copywriter and songwriter David Muntner. If you've been looking for a mastermind group to help you do more with your business in the coming year, the Copywriter Think Tank is open for a few additional members right now. Learn more by visiting copywriterthinktank.com. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Copywriters coming together to help the world write better. Copy and make more money. Kira and Rob's Copywriters Club